Today's guest is hands down one of the most inspiring people I have ever met. Her journey began in a super small town, or should I say village, five hours outside of Toronto, where she encountered wild animals more often than human beings. Needless to say, when she made her move to the big city to pursue her fashion dreams, the transition wasn't easy. Not only was she faced with an overwhelming culture shock, but she also battled lingering health issues related to a concussion she received back in high school, which threatened her ability to pursue her dreams. Faced with the possibility of quitting fashion school to focus on her health, she ignored the advice of her doctors and discovered her own method of healing, focused primarily on self-love and mindset. This fashion entrepreneur truly embodies the essence of both resilience and authenticity, which cascades right down into her brand where she inspires and empowers women of all shapes and sizes through self-love and acceptance. My guest today is lingerie designer Mary Young. She stopped by to discuss some of the key challenges she's faced in her life so far and how she's used those experiences to become a great entrepreneur, build her brand, and champion a movement that is beyond selling underwear. You're listening to The Andrew Quelo Show, the world's only podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs in fashion. What's up, Mary? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you, aka Young Biscotti. I have to ask where this <laughs> nickname comes from. Uh, this nickname was given to me by someone who I assume was trying to Google Mary Young. Uh, in the very early days of my website, I was on Google Analytics way too much, and I saw that someone Googled Mary Young Biscotti, and I thought, you know what? If I need to have an alter ego, I think Young Biscotti is that alter ego, and then it kind of just stuck, and I, I think if I ever want to become a rapper or, you know, if I want a, another clothing line, like, it really just works for being another version of me. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like it would be a great name for, like... A children's line like young biscotti i think it's stellar i mean i actually don't eat biscottis because i'm allergic but they look <laughs> delicious uh, i think they're cute looking snacks so you know what if i'm a young biscotti i'm a young snack whatever it may be i'm not opposed to that nickname that's funny you're allergic to it the irony of it all yeah um you have it like it's become your nickname so much so that you have it on the back of a raptor's jersey I do. Yeah. So I was getting a custom Raptors jersey done. I'm a big sports fan, specifically Raptors fan. And Young is a pretty common last name. Um, There are people who play in the NBA with the last name Young. So I didn't really want to put Young on the the back of my jersey. And then I thought, you know, what, what could I do that really like symbolizes me without it just being my name? And I thought, well, obviously it has to be Biscotti. So I have Biscotti on the back of my jersey. I have some Nike shoes that I've ID'd that have an even shorter form nickname, Young Bisco, because it can't fit Biscotti on it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of versions of Young Biscotti out there in paraphernalia, mostly just things that I own. I love it. I love that. So have you been watching the, uh, we're going to dive into, you know, the actual <laughs> topic of discussion, but now you, you got my, uh, you piqued my interest. Have you been watching the Raptors in the playoffs so far? Um, I haven't watched all the playoff games because the Raptors are playing at 1.30 PM. And as an entrepreneur, you know that it's hard enough to watch those seven, eight or 9 PM games, but 1.30 has been a bit hard. I do loyally watch all of the highlights and any, you know, recaps, any, anything on Twitter. I always jump in and see what's going on, 
but I have been watching um, like the seeding games and then I'm, I'm trying to catch different games. Like I saw obviously when the Lakers lost the other night and just kind of, I love a little upset in the NBA. So I'm, I'm there, I'm a fan, you know, on my couch, really, really watching and absorbing it while I can because I definitely missed sports while it was gone. Yeah, totally. So are, are we going to repeat or what? It's going to be tight. I think, um, I think Boston's actually going to be a problem for us. I don't think Milwaukee is going to be a big problem. I, I honestly think it's Boston because they have a similar team to us where there's a lot of very talented stars, but there's not one star. And that to me is a bigger threat because you can shut down the main player pretty, pretty easily if you have good defense. Uh, but if the rest of the team can't carry it, then there's no hope. But Boston's got a lot of um, guys that kind of just come out of nowhere, like we have each game where the, the score leader changes and it can throw everyone for a loop. So it's going to be exciting. I definitely think we're going to go far. I would love for us to repeat. Just um, I'm a big underdog fan, and I still think despite us being champions, we are the underdog this year because everyone's been sleeping on the Raptors. As they do. Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be pretty sweet to uh, to win it all against the Clippers. That's all I have to yeah. say. <laughs> oh, against the Clippers. Okay, now I know where you stand. Yeah, I'm still pissed at Kawhi. Um, mm-hmm. So I was really impressed. Uh, I had no idea literally until last night that you've actually done a TED Talk, which is really, really cool um, and really well done. So congrats to that. Really great accomplishment. Thank you. Um, and there's so much we can talk about with regards to that. But I think, you know, where I want to start is I think like the interesting part of your story is that you mentioned in that talk uh, that you moved from your hometown, which is about five hours away from Toronto, which mm-hmm. is pretty significant. It's a pretty significant move. Um, and, you know, just knowing your story, you become quite a successful entrepreneur and fashion designer. So, you know, I'm, I'm really interested about this backstory. Like when, when you say five hours away from Toronto, like where'd you grow up? <laughs> I grew up outside of a very small town. The town is called Arnprior, and the village that I lived in is called Waba. So I grew up in a village of like 50 people. The closest grocery store was a 20 minute drive. I lived on a hundred acre hobby farm. So we didn't farm like to sell anything off the farm, but we had horses and, you know, barn cats and things like that. So when I moved to Toronto, I had come from a house where I couldn't see the road and I couldn't see neighbors, but I would see bears and deer and coyotes more often than I would see other people. And then I moved into the city where I was in an apartment building that I like to describe as like an ant farm because there's people above me, there's people below me, there's people beside me. And I don't know who those people are. And it was very, very overwhelming. And, uh, looking back, I realized that it was a lot harder than I realized while I was going through it because obviously it's something new and exciting and I was young and naive. I was only 18. So I just kind of went into it, like jumped off that, that diving board and went right in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it probably would have been nicer to like pace myself into getting to Toronto. Like I had never spent time in Toronto before I moved here. So it was um, a big shock, needless to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, so like 18 years old, you obviously moved here for school, right? Mm-hmm. So I came here, um, I studied one year at George Brown College. So when I first finished high school, I was really set on being specifically just a fashion designer, you know, learning actually how to pattern draft and sew and different things like that. 
And then within the first year at George Brown, I realized that I didn't want to just design. I had more inclination towards the business side of things and maybe more marketing. My mom uh, was in marketing, so I knew enough about marketing and had dabbled in that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I decided to switch programs and I switched to go to Ryerson University and their fashion communication program. So just more of the branding business and like marketing side of fashion, but we still had to sew and still had to design. So still very hands-on. And yeah, that was really what sold me. There was not a lot of fashion, you know, programs post-secondary within Canada. So it was kind of Toronto or nothing for me. Yeah. I mean, I've heard really great things about that Ryerson program. I actually have a couple of interns going to be working for us in starting in September for amazing. Um, Yeah. So, and it's funny that you say that. I actually think it's a really important aspect of, um, you know, building a brand, because I think I've, I've talked about this on, on di- numerous episodes and it's, it's I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it seems to be a common theme where, uh, you know, I think in order to, to be successful nowadays, you can't just design like it, it, there's just so many components to, uh, you know, traditionally you play the game, you become a designer, then you wholesale it and you almost let the mm-hmm. whole side of things uh, become your marketing channel and, and get it in front of customers it's a whole new world, right? Like, yeah, you can go that route, but you can also go online. So I honestly think it's like, I think that's, it's great that you did that. I think it's the best of both worlds that you can, you can, you can play in both, you know, you can be really creative, but also really practical from Mm -hmm. a a designer and a, an entrepreneur kind of sense. Yeah, I definitely agree. I I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is also an entrepreneur in the clothing uh, industry And we were just saying, especially in today's day and age with like direct to consumer being such a huge channel that we're not really clothing companies as much as we are marketing companies. So we're marketing the clothing, but we're not just selling clothing. There's this whole other concept um, that goes with selling direct to consumer that, like you said, when you focused on wholesale, it just wasn't there. You didn't have to think about your consumer, your wholesale account sort of had to think about the end consumer, whereas you were just working on, you know, okay, it's a great style. This is our collection. It's cohesive. It'll hang well in these retailers. And that's basically it. Whereas now it's like, how many, you know, people are going to post this on Instagram? What's the user generated content going to look like? Should we market on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Pinterest? And there's so many different things to think about now that it feels overwhelming, but it's also really exciting because there's so many more opportunities that way. Yeah. I was going to say like, did you look at that as a pro or a con having to like, you know, with, with this kind of new model, I guess you could say there is an overwhelmingly, um, you know, amount of work to be done, right? It's not just, you know, there's just so much, right? It's, it's like, it's not just designing the product and, and putting it out and dealing with production and quality control. Like now on the marketing side, it's like, well, you got to think about SEO. You have to think about, yeah all these social media platforms and like a million other things. Um, mm-hmm. You think, would you say in, that you feel that like that's more of an opportunity and a pro versus, you know, a, a con? I would definitely say it's more accessible now to start a company. And I'm sure you see this too. There's everyone sort of wants to be an entrepreneur. It's become very glamorized that it's like, don't work for someone else, like be the man. And reality, it's like, well, you still will, you know, have to work hard and it's almost harder sometimes than when it's yourself. Uh, but it definitely gives people a lot of opportunity. Like when I started Mary Young, it was almost actually six years ago and I had just come to school. So the 
biggest, you know, lesson I learned was, yeah, you sell wholesale. That's the focus is you get into brick and mortar, you get into different, you know, accounts and that's, that's the only way you're going to grow. And if you're lucky, you'll sell a little bit online. And within the first year and a half, two years, it was pretty obvious that there was a lot of opportunity to sell online and with, you know, platforms like Shopify and different apps, even like Instagram back then when it wasn't, you know, full of influencers and pay for play, it gave, you know, small companies like myself such a opportunity to actually grow something organically. But it is really hard because like you said, there's so many options of where to invest your time and how to, how to grow your business. And I think the biggest lesson for anyone in almost any area of life is quality versus quantity. And really looking at that too with your marketing approach is you don't want to be on every platform in a really messy, inconsistent, uncohesive way, but you want to be able to be as you know, true to the brand, to the story, the mission and the narrative on maybe a select few platforms and do that really well before you expand into other areas. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like, you know, I feel like if you're kind of scattered all over the place, you kind of lose a little bit of authenticity because you're trying so hard to, you know, just be present versus, mm -hmm. you know, doing something really well, where like you said, it's, it's cohesive um, and, and it's true to, you know, whatever your brand is. So I, I honestly think that's like, really great piece of advice that uh, anyone listening to this should, should really focus on for sure. Um, so going back to your Ted talk, uh, <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that would love to do a Ted talk. There's a lot of people that probably would never get an opportunity to do a Ted talk. Um, like how does that even come to fruition? Something like that. Oh, I mean, it's, it's a bit of an interesting story. So I've, never was good at public speaking growing up. I think I actually failed in elementary school because I was never good at memorizing. And I guess that's what most public speaking is. It is like memorize the script and recite it back. Uh, so when I started my business, I never thought about really speaking much about it. But again, because being an entrepreneur has become more of like a conversation and a lot of people are, you know, trying their hand at different things. There's a lot of panels and different talks that have kind of come about. And I was asked to be on a few. So I was starting to, you know, do some speaking and realize that I'm actually good at it if I know what I'm talking about, which, you know, obviously makes sense. If you know the topic, you can probably talk to it. So that was, you know, really good for me to, to learn that confidence of, I know what I'm talking about as an entrepreneur or like my own story and things like that. And so I was, you know, I've done a, a bunch of different talks, some small, some big. And at one point I was like, you know, I really should work on how to be a better public speaker. So I actually bought a book, I can't remember the name, but it has to do with like how to be a TEDx speaker or like the ways to be the best TED talk speaker. And I was like, oh, okay, this is like perfect. Like that's the holy grail of, you know, public speaking. I would, that would be insane. Yeah. So I bought the book, read the book. And within, I think three days of finishing the book, I had a message from someone who was looking for speakers to do a TEDx in Toronto. Mm. And they were wondering if I was interested. And I was like, wow, did I really just like put this out there in the universe? Cause I, think I did. So I definitely obviously wanted to become a better public speaker. Anyone who speaks publicly would love to do a TED talk. So that was, you know, a goal of mine, but I had no idea that it was something I could actually achieve so quickly. And um, when I got that message, I was a hundred percent in, and it was a very overwhelming, uh, very exciting, very scary, but very, very good experience. I'd have to say. Wow, like the serendipity of like reading the goddamn book and then literally almost instantaneously getting a message to mm -hmm. not, even, not even like just talk, 
do a talk, like to actually do a TED talk, which the book was entitled. It's like someone was listening to you. I guess the universe. Was yeah. Listening. You got you to gotta speak things into fruition. I, I'm a big believer in, you know, speaking it, putting that good energy out there, asking for what you want, trusting that, you know, if you work for it, you'll achieve it. And uh, I guess that was just a really good reminder for me that it, that's true. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you know, it, it's, it's great that you mentioned that because th that's almost the, the essence of what you spoke about, right? It was, you know, you were d discussing, um, you know, kind of uh, what maybe seemed like an insignificant moment in your life uh, in high mm -hmm. school where you got a concussion and how the symptoms of that lingered for, you know, 10 or so years and um, how you used, I guess, positive energy and, uh, you know, changing your mindset to remove yourself from, from feeling those symptoms. Right. And yeah, like to me, first of all, it's crazy that you were able to like almost map your, your, your mind to, to do what you wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. Um, which I found really interesting and, and, and really cool. Like how, how was that? Like, how did you find that whole process? Like was, were there times where you're like, this is stupid. This is frustrating. This isn't working. Like how was, oh. how was the process? Yeah, it was definitely not um, an easy process. So after dealing with like the post-concussion syndromes for I would say five to seven years, like pretty, pretty steadily, like almost day in, day out with some, some symptom, whether it's, you know, inability to speak clearly or my cognitive skills are a bit off or just the migraines that were always there. Uh, it definitely kind of got to a point like a fork in the road where I was like, I need to at least try to have some control in the situation because I felt very out of control. Um, and I remember reading an article about speaking positive affirmations to yourself, not just thinking them, not just writing them down, but actually speaking them aloud and, um, you know, receiving them. And so I thought, honestly, at this point, I have nothing else to lose. I've been, I've been trying almost anything and uh, not much has worked. So I'm going to try something new. So there was definitely days that I'd be looking at myself in the mirror, like making eye contact with myself and giving myself positive affirmations and thinking this is the most ridiculous thing. I have ever done. I have no idea why I'm doing this. Like, what is the point? And I'm glad that I lived alone for part of that time because if I had roommates that like heard me speaking to myself in the mirror, I probably would be too like uncomfortable with someone else knowing I'm doing this. And while I was doing it, I didn't really have these conversations with friends that this is something I was going through. A lot of my friends didn't even know that I dealt with post-concussion syndrome or migraines or things like that. I just was so used to it that it became just something I carried. So this was a way for me to start to open that up and, you know, you know, grow and actually change the way that my mind has been wired. And um, I don't think at this time there was a book out, but it's been published since and it's called The Brain That Heals Itself. And I think there's a second one that's The Brain That Changes Itself. And there's studies about how the brain can actually like rewire itself even after, um, you know, trauma or accidents or different diseases. And heal itself based on the willpower that you have and i don't know what the stat is but i know somewhere some famous person said that we only use like 18 percent of our brain or 11 percent or something so tiny that you're like what else could we do if we actually used 100 percent of our brain and i think that next section of the brain that we don't use is the ability to change um maybe the course that we're on in terms of like where we think this is we're going forward in this, or I've, I've been dealing with this. So, you know, I'm a victim and I have to keep going this way, or I have to take on this label of, I have this disease or I have this, you know, syndrome or whatever it may be, but you have the ability to 
take that and shift and rewrite your own story. And, um, you know, it's, I still deal with migraines. It's not something that I've, you know, completely walked away from, but I know in comparison to where I was to where I am now that, um, being responsible for my mindset, my thinking, my positive affirmations, also my physical health, working out, drinking water, having, you know, a stable life. If, you know, work gets busy, I find that my migraines get worse. So if I'm going to bed at the same time, waking up around the same time, my health is um, thriving and everyone's different, but we also need to learn that about ourselves instead of just like Googling the best, you know, cure or whatever the best workout is or read just one book and then have no actions, but actually take things into your own hands and really, um, yeah, take ownership and also get excited that you can make a difference in your life. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting, like, you know, the, the thought of self-talk and like going through that process, you know, it doesn't really seem tangible, but I guess like based on your experience, A and B, you know, some of the, the content and books that are out there, like wh when you can actually realize that this is actually a physical process mm -hmm. that can alter um, your state. Um, I find that really, really interesting. The fact, like, you, it's exactly what you said, right? I think if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and just talking to yourself, like, people are going to think you're crazy. But if you're like, hey, this is, this is a, like my brain's rewiring itself, it's tangible. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're not crazy anymore. It's like, oh, oh, I didn't know that it could do that, right? Like, it's exactly. And it's, and I think anything change of any sort is uncomfortable or there's some sort of pain, like, there's growing pains. And when you're trying something new, you're always going to be uncomfortable. But that's the point is if you stay in your comfort zone, there's no change positive or, you know, negative, but mostly positive because you're just staying where you think things are safe and okay, but you're really holding yourself back from so many good things that can be coming to you. Yeah, totally. So, you know, through, through that experience, like how has that, that learning and that, and, you know, understanding the ability to and then the power of, of being able to change your mindset like how do you think that's factored into you know all the success you've had so far you know in your job and as as a fashion designer yeah I would say as an entrepreneur um, you know this that it's a lot of no's it's a lot of roadblocks a lot of cement walls even um, it's a it's a lot it's all uphill like even when you like get to the top of the hill you realize you're suddenly on an incline again because you're at that no next like growth period or spurt mm -hmm. so going through something where it was my physical health that i had to overcome and be determined to overcome and not just give up like i had many doctors in a way that gave up on me and my health because they couldn't figure out what to do to give me any relief and you know the last doctor even just told me that I should probably drop out of school and just focus on my health and I was like well I'm 22 this is not what I need to be doing like I can't just live in my mom's basement and do what exactly like I, I have to work and I want to like I want my own life um, so I think finding that resilience for me really lends itself well to being an entrepreneur because man, it is hard. It is not as glamorous as people make it seem. You are sitting on the floor with boxes around you. You're trying to use Excel spreadsheets that you don't even have a template to work off. So you're creating your own and you're trying to figure it all out. It's, it's a lot of hard work. Obviously the rewards are very, um, very rewarding, very high and positive, but you have to be resilient and you also have to be agile. And I think that's another thing is learning how to shift and not just say, okay, well, 
if this is the only solution I know and it doesn't work, I guess it's not going to work. You have to be able to think of what's plan B, C, D, E, all the way through the alphabet. You have to keep trying and keep reworking until something clicks because there is always a solution. It just may not be the first thing that you think. Yeah, totally. And I, and I agree with you. I think people and social media doesn't help this concept, but I think a lot of people uh, assume like, oh, I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to be able to take vacation when I want. I'm going to, you know, take Fridays off and go play golf or, you know, stay up all night partying and like I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And like, sure, that's all fine and dandy and you can. (laughs) But at the the end of the day, like, it's not that glamorous. Like, no. And even if you do all of that, will you have a company to come back to? Because there's times that I want to take vacation. Like for us, Christmas is a big time. A lot of people are buying presents. A lot of people are, you know, even if they're treating themselves, someone else, then Boxing Day is a big day. And for the first three, if not four years of my business, I didn't see my family for Christmas. I wanted to be available Christmas Eve till 9 p.m. for those last minute shoppers who wanted to pick up a gift. And I was like, yep, I'm here. I'm at the studio. Come get it. Like, no problem. And then on Boxing Day, when people are trying to, you know, type in the code and for some reason, can never get it right. I'm there to answer like customer service questions and I'm not, I'm not going to lose a customer because I want to be, you know, enjoying time with my family. And that's the sacrifices that come with running a business. And now obviously I have a bigger team so I can take some time and I can, you know, schedule things out a bit better and actually spend time with my family. But it's in the early days, it's all sacrifice. It's very little gain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's and that's 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 the harsh reality for anyone that's listening to it to this. Being, yeah. I never discourage anyone from becoming an entrepreneur because I definitely think, um, even from like a self learning perspective, mm, I think mm-hmm. it's like so powerful to to go through. Even if you were to like fail five years down the road, I think like going through the process um, really teaches you a lot about yourself. But yeah, like if you're not ready to grind and work, it's, it's, yeah. it's just never going to work. I know everyone like sits there and is like, Oh, like, look at, you know, X, look at Amazon. Like it's look how big they are. It's like, yeah, but like it took them 40 years to build the fucking company. Yeah. You no, know, like nothing's an overnight success. We think it is, but it's just Kanye wore a hat once. And now that brand's huge the next day, but needless to say that brand's been around for three, four years. It's not overnight. Yeah. Everything takes work. Like if you think of, I'm a very visual person. So I think of like everything in terms of if I've seen it. So I'm like a business is like a skyscraper. The bigger you want to go, the deeper you have to dig down. You can't have an 80, you know, floor skyscraper and only have one floor underground. The whole thing's going to topple over. So you have to build a really solid foundation if you want to grow and be big. And not everyone wants to be a skyscraper. Some people want to be a low rise building and like, and that's perfect. And you don't want to have to be you know, selling internationally, you want to just be doing something in your, your local city or whatever it may be. And to each entrepreneur, it can look different, but you still have to remember that there's a lot of foundational work before you're going to see the rewards and success that come from them. Yeah. It's funny that, um, I'm a very visual person as well. And, uh, you know, my kind of, the kind of image that I always look at, and I'm sure you've seen this like a million times over is, uh, is the picture of the iceberg where above the water, it's mm-hmm. success, but underneath the water, which is like 10 times bigger than the success part, there's, you know, all the adjectives of like hard work and grind and sleepless nights and like mm-hmm. all, all these millions of things we can describe uh, to describe the sacrifice you make when you become an entrepreneur. And, you know, th- that really is the reality. And I think people need to come to the realization that 
it. Like there's, there's no way around it. Like, no, you know, like I, I know there's tons of people out there that are like, Oh yeah, you can just like start a drop ship company and like import all the shit from Alibaba and just run Facebook ads. And like, you don't even have to touch shit and make like 50 grand a month. And it's like, no. <laughs> like, yeah it's you can do that for a period of time and then things catch up or there's a break in the supply chain and you have no other plan b or anything like that and and i think the biggest thing is not everyone is designed to be an entrepreneur like it does take a specific personality and it's the same thing with like not everyone design is designed to be a nurse or a firefighter or you know all these different jobs like i could not be an accountant i hate numbers i'm not down to be balancing or out of the red and in the black and all that stuff so i know when i first started i was doing my accounting because well, i don't have the budget to pay someone and then when i got to the point where it was too much for me now i'm going to pay someone because i know someone else is going to the accountant. no one can be everything and it's important to just you know recognize your strengths and realize maybe you're not going to be the entrepreneur but you can be the right hand and you can be there and you can help grow that business, but it's not on you, which is, to be honest, sounds pretty exciting because the stress isn't there the same way. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that, you know, that, that all comes down to like how involved you are if you were like a number two, but um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I'm just kind of grappling now. I've gone through all of this, you know, like where I think I need to do everything. It's like, well, I need mm -hmm. to like be the master of SEO and I need to like mm -hmm. know how to be a photographer and like all this shit. And then you just like realize really fast that it's like, you know, I think, I think the CEO or the, you know, the founder or whatever you want to call that person's job is, is to really be an architect. And that's, yeah. that's really what your job is. Your job is to, you know, understand the pieces and, you know, find, Build. understand the puzzle and find the pieces that fit to, to make shit work. Yeah. And sometimes those pieces aren't right. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes you pick a bad photographer, sometimes, you know, you just hire the wrong person or you get a bad intern or whatever the case may be. And, yeah. you know, it's all part of the process, but, um, yeah. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the negativities of, of <laughs> being a, a, an entrepreneur and a CEO and, and a business owner. Um, but there's obviously perks. So what's, you know, what would you say is your favorite part of being the CEO of your namesake brand? For me, I honestly, have said this like every single time someone's asked me is just the positive impact that we have on our customers. Um, so I really started the brand because lingerie typically is about creating women to look a specific way mm -hmm. or to be sexy based on whatever society is saying in that decade. And it's changed. It changes all the time. You know, we're in a phase where, you know, curvier women is what everyone wants to be. But in the nineties, it was the thinner and the skinnier you could be the better. So I always found that lingerie was just a very negative space for women and I never aligned with it. So I wanted to help women, you know, feel better about themselves in their natural shape. And for the most part, we wear bras and underwear every day and it's the first thing we put on. And if you feel negative about yourself from the top of the day, then it's not going to help throughout the rest of the day in other areas of your life. So that's really been the biggest focus. And when I get an email from a customer or, you know, a DM or whatever it may be, just saying how, good they feel or they didn't know they could be so comfortable in you know a bra or that they didn't have to wear a padded push-up you know something that Victoria's Secret or another big brand was selling as like the look that they really are starting to feel like themselves to me that's really um the fuel to keep going and the reason why I'm doing this is it's it's so much more than just selling the product but it really is 
this ability I have to connect with um, our consumers in a, in a way one-on-one -on -one through the product and really just ideally change how they feel about themselves and change their day as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting concept that, you know, a lot of people probably overlook, but, you know, again, going back to the mindset thing, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you wake up, if you wake up on the proverbial wrong side of the bed, <laughs> you know, like that's, it's a hard day. Yeah, right. It's a hard day. And like, there's, you know, I think that just became kind of like a catchphrase over, you know, you know, over our, our, our lifetime. It's just something people said at like the water cooler. Ah, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. But like, yeah. there's actually a science behind it, right? And I love the fact that, you know, you're conscious about that process for women and how important it is to, to kind of kick off that day. It's like, it's, you, you're, you're putting on your undergarments before you even have your morning coffee. Like you, like that's yeah. the first thing you're doing. Right. So it really kind of can be like a pre-frame to how the hell your whole day is going to be. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, what I really love about what you do is like, I think, I feel like you exude a confidence, like a through yourself, which, you know, there's, there's a confidence and an authentic authenticity that comes through your brand that I feel like, comes directly from you. And I think mm -hmm. that's really empowering for your customers. I think that, um, you know, if, if you, if people can do that in their businesses, it's like, I don't know, it's just a way for people to feel connected. And I, I think you do a really, really great job at being authentic and, and having that come through as like your brand ethos. Well, I appreciate that because it's, it's something that I didn't realize I was doing from the beginning. Obviously I named the company myself because I thought it would be easier to remember. And I was like, ah, it's a blanket name. It's not specific. It'll be fine. And then as the company's grown, obviously people want to know who I am, what I believe in, what I do, you know, even other products or things that I like to spend my time and money on. And that has become interesting to me that people, you know, care as much about me as I care about them. And like you said, it really does come from me and, and any business, you know, whether it's Amazon or Walmart or Nike, the CEO really is, you know, the head of the business and that person, whether you realize it or not, their attributes, their traits, things like that go funnel down into all the other aspects of the business and eventually to the touch points with the customer. So for me, it's become a very big thing to be able to, um, you know, talk about positive positivity, talk about self-love and not in, you know, the way that every brand now wants to talk about what self-love looks like. And, you know, self-love to me is as simple as just waking up and looking at yourself and say, damn, I look good today. And that's it. Like that can be it. It's not a face mask. It's not painting your nails or pampering yourself or whatever. It's, uh, it's whatever works for you. And, you know, I've had this conversation many times with a lot of different outlets that are like, oh, so what do you do for self-love? Like you must love a good bubble bath or this or that. And for me, I'm like, I do, I actually like a bubble bath, but the best thing I do that for me is self-love and is caring for myself is making a nice dinner and watching a Raptors game. That to me is like 10 out of 10. I feel my best. I'm enjoying myself. I, you know, I'm not thinking about work. I'm not distracted. I'm really present and I'm, I feel good. I mean, obviously if they lose, it doesn't end so well, but you know, for the most part, I feel really good. And um, you know, and that it can look different for everyone. What, what positivity and what finding that, you know, that thing, whether it's meditation for some or running or even just cooking, it can look different, but it can really change those, you know, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed days and make them positive. So 
it's been really nice to be able to have that connection with, you know, the customers and the community that we've built and uh, make it feel personal to me too, because I don't want our community to feel like just a number of people. I want to know, you know, different names or Instagram handles or customers that we see. And, um, you know, cause to me it's, I wouldn't be here without them. So I, it, it is a two way street at the end of the day. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I, it's, it's really, uh, I don't know what the word I'm, I'm fishing for a word here that I can't get on the tip of my tongue, but it's really like commendable that, that, that you do that. But I know, just from my own personal experience, like I have this, this self-talk with myself all the time. It's like, you know, you can go on the brand page and like be yourself and like, it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. a business. And like, I actually find it very challenging as I'm sure you it's probably, very hard. Right? You probably did at the beginning, uh, which is something that I'm really working towards because I think it's really important. Um, you know, and one thing that really stuck out to me is like, I just, uh, I actually just came across it on your website was like your, your love letter to a loved one, which I imagine for you was not easy to write and uh, not easy to put in front of your customer, put in front of your customers, like mm -hmm. show your, your vulnerability. Um, how, how important though, do you think that has been to, you know, the success of the brand. Like, obviously I've seen your lingerie. It's really well designed. It's really cool. Um, it's definitely a lot different than what's out on the market, but, uh, which is great, which I, yeah, I thank think you. is a positive. Um, but you know, there's this whole other component that we're talking about, right. And, and mm -hmm. being you and being vulnerable and authentic. Um, and you know, it's obviously very important to you to do that, uh, to mm -hmm. connect with your community, but, how, like, how do you think that's really impacted, uh, you know, the growth of your brand, the success of your brand? Uh, you know, do, do you think that's like a very integral part or is that just something that, you know, it is what it is and, you know, that's it? I think for now, at this stage of the business, I realize how integral it is. At the beginning, I had no concept this would become um, so big to the brand and even just the conversation around the brand. And it really started with, you know, early days on Instagram, I would always, you know, encourage customers to post a photo of themselves and their product, because if you buy a pair of sneakers, you're going to post a photo of you and your sneakers. Obviously a bit different with lingerie. Not everyone wants a photo of themselves half naked on the internet. And I totally understand that. And for me, I realized I can't ask my customers, my community to do something that I wouldn't do. It's not right of me to be like, well, I want you to do this and why don't you do that? But I'm not doing it. And you, you know, as anyone knows, you have to lead by example. And so it was hard for me when I first started posting photos of me in my bras and underwear, which I'm obviously so proud of. I designed them, you know, they're made in Canada. I've worked really hard for this, but it is this sort of concept of like, oh, well, why are you doing that? Are you looking for attention? And, you know, all these different things. But the reality is when you are, in your skin and or in very little clothing, whatever it may be, you're as, as vulnerable as you can be. You are really taking off those layers of protection or um, showing yourself in a certain way. And so for me, that was like the first step of understanding how vulnerability really played into our brand and our success. And then from there, it really expanded into really, again, talking about self-love and self-care. And a lot of people think self-love really is just about Oh, you know, love your thighs, or if you're having a bad day, just love your body. It's about loving your physical self. And the reality is self-love happens in so many different aspects of your life. And um, that can be when you're moving from a small town to a big city and you feel like you're losing yourself and you don't know who you are because 
everything's changing. You don't have people around you. So you do need to find that self-love and that self-care to get you through that hard time. And so part of our self-love conversations really have been about vulnerability in other areas of your life outside of loving your body. Uh, obviously it's easy to start there. That's sort of like the tip of the iceberg for us is, you know, talk about loving your body, celebrating your differences and things like that, but it goes into so many different areas. And so the letter to a loved one was, um, obviously a very personal thing for me. I lost my dad when I was 19. So it's been almost, um, almost a decade and it's been, you know, obviously hard to grow through my early adult year, years without a parent and something again that I don't share I, or I didn't share with a lot of people and it made me wonder why am I not okay with being vulnerable this isn't a negative thing this is something that unfortunately we're all going to face in our lifetime is losing our loved ones and it should also be able to be something that becomes beautiful and celebrating that person's life and that took me years to learn how to have self-love through that hole in my heart and what that really felt like. And so for me, I wrote that letter as sort of like a cathartic release of if I could have this conversation with my father, this is what I would want to say. And um, again, I had talked to a few friends about it and they encouraged me to share it and encouraged me that other people would find it helpful. And I think that was really the big reason is, you know, when I lost my dad, most of my friends had not lost anyone in their life, whether it was even a grandparent or a close friend or something. And so I didn't have a lot of support of, you know, what the grieving process looks like. And it's okay to think these things. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to laugh and then cry because why are you laughing when someone you love isn't there? And so by sharing that letter, I really was hoping to connect with, you know, people in our community that maybe had dealt with this before or currently dealing with it or, or maybe have a friend who's going through losing a loved one and they don't know how to be there to support them. And again, it's just a way to open up a conversation around what we think is a touchy subject, but in reality, it's something we all, it's, it's life. If life. you live, you die. It's, mm -hmm. and it, it sounds cold to say that, but it, it is the, the biggest thing that happens is we're all going to, you know, experience new life and we're going to experience death. And the sooner we can take away the stigma of, oh, I don't know how to talk about that. It's uncomfortable and really start to be there for each other and help each other through what feels like, you know, some of the really hard times the better the world is going to be. And that really would be nice to see is the world's just become a better place. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to find words for everything you just said, because, I'm just <laughs> like, you know, I've read the letter and, and I know that like, I don't know, just so well-spoken on, on, on all of these kind of concepts. And like I said, it, it really does resonate on a brand level. And I, I think you honestly, I commend you for that. I think it's well, thank you. been an incredible, incredible job at, at, just your brand being you. Well, thank you. I mean, one thing my mom and my dad had always taught me is to always be myself. So thankfully being myself is working right now. So I'm glad. Right. Isn't like, so what every, every parent says, just be yourself and just be yourself. You know. And it's true. Everyone, like the world is filled with so many different people. We're all so unique. And the best thing is to just truly be you because you have been designed the way you are and um, the right people are going to be in your life, loving you through all that too. That's, uh, you know what, I think that's like an amazing way to end off this podcast, like so positive. Um, listen, you're, this has been great. You're super inspiring. Uh, I encourage anyone listening to this to, I mean, there's so many things you can take away. <laughs> go watch Mary's TED Talk. You can go read her letter, discover her brand. But I just want to thank you for, for sharing all this with me and with, with all the, everyone listening. And uh, 
I look forward to watching you build that skyscraper. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed being here. And at the end of the day, it's great to have these conversations. And you know what? I'm sure we'll be doing it again soon. You've been listening to The Andrew Quelo Show. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Stay connected with me by following me on Instagram at Mr. Andrew Quelo or visit me at andrewquelo.ca to subscribe to my email list so that you can be first to know about new episode launches and exclusive giveaways that I hold for my community of supporters. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.